What a beautiful picture. Um, let me spend some time in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And we do rejoice with, with Dylan and with Pam and, and blessing them with Vienna. Lord, there's much to rejoice in, and yet your word says to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And Lord, this weekend has been one of much weeping as we remember so many people who lost loved ones on 9-11. Lord, so many servicemen over the last 20 years who have lost their lives for this freedom. Lord, for so many service people who've lost limbs, struggling with uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, so many have sacrificed so many and and Lord, we pray for those that are hurting and those that have lost so much that they would run to you and find comfort and not from you. Lord, we weep for our nation because we have forgotten you. Lord, all the things we see happening around us that break our hearts happen because we have forgotten you. We pray for revival. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? In the midst of all the weeping, may there be a people overflowing with joy because we know the risen Savior. We know that with you the best is yet to come. Lord, we need a revival in your church. Lord, we need a great spiritual awakening in our land. Lord, we want to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. So as your word is preached today, Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us. May we leave here rejoicing that we know Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one of the things that brings us joy is we get the opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. And this week we rejoice at seeing two people who came to faith in Christ. <clears throat> I didn't know anybody ever reads what's coming up, but someone this morning said they were really looking forward to the uh, message, which is called, uh, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. And you might think, well, where did that come from? Here's where that came from. A couple years ago, I was having lunch with one of our elders, and he asked me a question. The question he asked me was, will we be blessed if we obey God? So someone asked you the question, and they ask you, will we be blessed if we obey God? What would you say? Okay, very good. You said yes, and so I said, um, yes, there are blessings that come from obeying God. And then I said, but there's only been one person who ever obeyed God. And he ended up on a cross, right? The only person who ever obeyed God was Jesus, and he ended up on a cross. And so that's what we're going to be unpacking this morning. The, the point of the message today that we're going to unpack is that Jesus suffered for doing what is right. Isn't that true? The only person who ever obeyed God, and he suffered for it, right? He suffered for doing what is right, and 
And we will too. We will too. So we shouldn't be shocked and surprised when we suffer for doing what is right because Jesus suffered for doing what is right. So listen, we, there are blessings that come from obeying God. There, there are. Uh, but, but listen, sometimes we will suffer for doing what is right just like Jesus did. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you, you, you ought to bring it and get familiar with it. It's a book about Jesus. If you open it up, every page smells like Jesus. And, and today is going to be like a Bible drill. I'm going to be going all over the Bible. And it would help you so much in your Christian life if you knew your way around the Bible. And I want you to know that we're walking through 1 Peter because we find ourselves as Christians in challenging times and we're seeking to equip you we want to equip you to follow Jesus in an increasingly hostile culture. We face things we haven't faced before as Christians in our country, and we're seeking to equip you. So, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, in a world where we often experience hostility, isn't it great to know that we are beloved of God? We are God's beloved. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. He says to the Christians who were living in a hostile culture, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal. What was happening? They were accused of all kinds of false things. They were being marginalized. They were losing their jobs. They were paying a price for acknowledging Jesus. Sound familiar? And you know what else? Many of them were being martyred. Talk about a fiery ordeal. Nero would dip Christians in pitch and set them on fire. And so he says, don't be surprised for your suffering. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. <laughs> he says, not only don't be surprised, but rejoice. Keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of the glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Do you know why he said, do not be surprised by the suffering you're going through? Because they had been taught a lie. They had been taught a lie like many of us have. And the lie was that if you obey God, everything in life will go well. That if you obey God, everything in life will go well. And they had been seeking to follow Jesus and they were suffering and they were saying, what's going on? Um, the truth is, Jesus suffered for doing what is right. And we will to. There are two words, <clears throat> two words in these first two verses that we would never put together. Did you hear them? Beloved and suffering. We would never put them together, would we? Because we would say, what, if God, what, loves us, he would never, what, let us suffer. And so I want us to lift up our eyes and look at Jesus. And here's what I want you to see with Jesus. Jesus was beloved, wasn't he? Are you guys there? Yes. He was, but he also suffered, right? 
So if Jesus was both beloved and suffered, why do we struggle that we could be beloved and suffer at the same time? Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 3. Remember when Jesus was baptized? Remember? He's just about to, be, to begin his ministry. It's going to be really hard. There's going to be a lot of suffering. So the Father kind of pumps him up a little bit. He's baptized, Matthew 3, 16. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Isn't that what any son wants to hear from his father, right? Talk about being pumped up. Jesus is about to begin his ministry, and, and the father says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And by the way, if you're a Christian, you're in Christ, and that's what the father says about you. This is my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased because he sees Jesus, not you. But I want you to see that he's beloved, Right? Boy, knowing that right after this he goes into temptation and he's ready for it because he knows that he's beloved of the Father. As he goes into temptation, the Father didn't abandon him. He was beloved. And then we go on a little bit with Jesus, right? And, and then right before the cross, think he could use a little encouragement before the cross? You think so? So right before the cross, what Jesus takes with him, what? Peter and James and John, they go up on the mountain of transfiguration. You remember the story, right? Jesus is fully God and fully man in one person, right? But most of the time on earth, his glorious God was veiled. His glory was veiled. But on the mountain, his glory was unveiled, right? You know how Mark describes it? Mark says that his clothes were so white, it was like no launderer on earth could make them. Isn't that great? But, but in Matthew 17, listen, Matthew 17... This is pumping Jesus up for the cross, for the suffering ahead. While he was still speaking, Peter, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son. No one was ever loved more than Jesus was loved by the Father, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So listen, Jesus was beloved. You with me, right? He was beloved, right? But didn't he also suffer? What was his purpose? His purpose was what? To come and seek this and save the lost, right? And that involved what? Lots and lots of suffering, didn't it? Um, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah 53. I'm just going to read a few verses about Jesus' suffering. Come back this week and read the chapter. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, here's the gospel that we love. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. This week, when you look at the world, and it's so broken, and someone asks, what's wrong with the world? You know what's wrong with the world? I am. You know what's wrong with the world? You are. You know what's wrong with the world? All of us are. We have a problem called sin. Did you read that? All of us, especially me have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Do you know what sin is? Here's sin. God says, honor your father and mother. And you know what we say? That's a good idea. That's a good idea. But I've got a better idea. No. Isn't that sin? 
And God says what? God says what? You shall not bear false witness. And we say, that's a good idea. That's a good idea, but what? I've got a better idea. And so we lie, right? That's what sin is. And God says what? God says, you shall not steal. And we say what? That's a good idea, but I've got a way better idea. And we do. And God says what? You shall not commit adultery. God says sex belongs in marriage. And we say, that's a good idea, a little antiquated, but I know better than you. And so we sin against God. Over and over again. You know why the world's so broken? Because we're so arrogant. We think we know better than God. So we rebel against God. And what do you think is the penalty for rebelling against God? The Bible says what we deserve is hell. And that's why the beloved of God came. The beloved of God came to suffer and die so that we wouldn't have to go to hell, but we could enjoy God forever. That's the good news. Do you see that? All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord, God the Father, has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. God loved his son. The Father loved you and me. So he put our sin on Jesus, and Jesus died in our place. Keep reading the chapter, verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. Do you have a child? Can you imagine crushing your child? Why? Because God loved us so. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would... Um, If he, would be, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Listen, as a result of the anguish of his soul, Jesus was beloved and suffered at the same time, right? He, God the Father, will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, Jesus, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Oh. God the Father took our sins, put it on the Son whom he loved, and crushed him and punished him in our place. That Jesus experienced what we experienced. He experienced hell itself. And then, and then he cried out from the cross, it is finished. He was dead, but three days later he walked out of the tomb proving he had conquered sin and death, and he offers us eternal life. He offers us salvation, to be delivered from our sin, to be delivered from hell, for the opportunity for forgiveness, for the opportunity to have a life that matters, to do a life with Jesus, for the chance to do eternity with him. And, and, and what does he require of us? Oh, the question of all questions was asked one day, wasn't it? By a jailer in Philippi who, who asked the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know one of the things that amazes me? We, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And do you know how many people have come up to me in the pandemic and said, hey, Smiley, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to live forever? Listen, we're all going to die. What do I need to do to live forever? No one! <laughs> I would think that would be a pretty good question, don't you? Sirs, 
What must I do to be saved? What do I need to do to live forever? What do I need to be forgiven? What do I need to be delivered from hell to enjoy God forever? I would think that would be a question that would, people would want to ask. And the answer would shock them. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Don't believe in yourself and how good you are. Don't try harder. Believe that Jesus did it all. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. But smiley, what does it mean to believe? It, it means that we quit trusting in ourselves and we trust in Christ. And, and that really is as simple. I, I say it all the time. It's ABC where we admit and believe and commit. It starts when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned. There's no way I could ever save myself. And listen, if, if you haven't, won't you do that now? Or I'll give you a chance when we pray. Lord, I've gone my own way. I've sinned. I can't save myself. And then we believe. Jesus, I believe. You went to the cross for me. You were crushed. You died for me. Thank you. There was no other way. Thank you. And then we commit. We trust Jesus. Jesus, forgive me. I, I want to be forgiven. I, I want eternal life won't you? And then I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, won't you? And if you have, I want you to understand you are beloved, but you will suffer in this world for doing what is right just like Jesus did. Um, so beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. It's happening to your brothers and sisters around the world and has throughout history. It's not strange. But to the degree that you share. See the word share there? <laughs> the word there in Greek is koinoneo. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Koinonia means fellowship. <laughs> And this is the verb form of that, that, that you're a part of the fellowship of the suffering. Something special happens to us as Christians when we join the fellowship of the suffering. Jesus invites us. He invites us to suffer with him, to share in, to fellowship in the sufferings of Christ and keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Well, how? How can we rejoice in suffering for doing what is right? Here's how. Because we found someone worth suffering for. We found something, a purpose worth suffering for. How miserable would life be if there was no one or nothing worth suffering for? So, Jesus suffered for doing what is right, and, and we will too. Let's move on. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Listen, Jesus was strengthened by the Holy Spirit to suffer, and we can be too. You see, we are reviled for the name of Christ, but Jesus was reviled too. Do you know what they said about Jesus? They said he was a drunkard. They said he was a drunkard, a wine-bibber, right? They accused him of being a glutton, right? A glutton. Do you know what they accused him of? Of being a friend of sinners. We think that's a compliment. It wasn't. You know what it was like to be called a friend of sinners? It would be like if you're a Republican, someone said you were a friend of Nancy Pelosi. 
That's what it, or, or if you're a Democrat, it would be like someone said, you're a friend of President Trump, right? That would not be what a compliment, would it? It would be highly offensive. And so they said he's a friend of sinners. Do you know what they said about Jesus? He was demon-possessed. Do you know what they said about Jesus? He was illegitimate at a time. They said, you don't even know who your daddy is at a time when that really, really mattered. But do you know how Jesus was able to endure all the revilings? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filled him and it enabled him to, to endure the sufferings. And do you know what Jesus promised us? The same Holy Spirit that enabled him to endure suffering is given to us so we can endure suffering too. Um, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus prepared his disciples for what was to come way better than I have prepared you. And, and I'm so sorry, I haven't prepared you for what we're going through. But listen, I'm trying, I'm learning. Here's what Jesus said when he sent his disciples out. Matthew 10, verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Is that how we go out each day? Sent by Jesus, realizing we're sheep in the midst of wolves. Um, so be shrewd as serpent and innocent of doves, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. We shouldn't be surprised when our neighbors turn us in, when those we work with turn us in. We, we shouldn't be surprised, Jesus told us, right? And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Listen, we're going to be brought before people. That's an opportunity, the Bible says, to share with others what Jesus means to me. But when they, what word does it say? Got it right. It says when, right? It doesn't say what. If it says but when. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say, for it is not you who speaks, it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. The same Holy Spirit who was moving in Jesus that gave him the words to say when he suffered is the same Holy Spirit who lives in us. So he says, don't worry about these things, but listen, be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, so we're ready when that day comes. And it will come. It will come. Listen, Jesus suffered for doing what is right. Jesus was strengthened by the Holy Spirit to endure the suffering, and we have the same Spirit too, so that we too can be strengthened. Pressing on in 1 Peter <clears throat> Verse 15, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. <laughs> Don't you love that lineup? I mean, we, we, we get the murderer, a thief, an evildoer, <laughs> and then the person who's always sticking their nose in everybody else's business, right? <laughs> Don't be a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, do you know how many times the word Christian occurs in the New Testament? Three times. Um, 
in Acts chapter 11 is the first time. Before that, before that, uh, they, the Christians were called disciples. They were called disciples, and the term Christian was meant to be a term of derision. It was, oh, these little Christ-like ones. And you know what the Christian said? We like that. We like that. The, the term Christian was meant to be a derision. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but to glorify God in this name. Listen, everyone is going to suffer in this life. Everyone is. But we have a choice. We can suffer for doing what is wrong, like a murderer or a thief or a troublesome meddler, right? Or we can suffer like Jesus. We can suffer for doing what's right. And as Christians, we want to follow Jesus, right, and suffer for doing what's right. And here's what I want you to know. Jesus was not ashamed of us. He was not ashamed to suffer for us. Oh, don't you know it pained? Don't you know that it pained Peter to write this? If anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed. You know why it pained him, right? Because there was a day he was ashamed to identify as a Christian. Remember? When Jesus was about to be crucified, he said to his disciples, you're all going to run away. And what did Peter say? Yeah, Jesus, those other guys, I can see them leaving, but not me. Oh, no, Peter, you're going to deny me. No, no, I'll never. And then he did. Do you know how many times I've had a chance to speak up and say I'm a Christian and I was ashamed? Do you know how many times I had a chance to share the gospel, but I was way too concerned about what people thought about me rather than their eternal destiny? And then I look at my Jesus, and do you know that Jesus is never ashamed of me? There is no reason I ever should be ashamed of him, but I am. And there is no reason that, I mean, there is every reason he should be ashamed of me, and he's not. Let me show you a verse that just staggers me. In, in, in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, for both he who sanctifies, that's our big brother, big brother Jesus, he sanctifies us. Both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. Do you know Jesus isn't worried about us um, playing with his toys? Did you know he's not worried about sharing the inheritance with us? He's actually really, really excited to have brothers and sisters. Did you know that? He, he, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from the one Father, from which, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. When we are blown away that Jesus is not ashamed of us, we are his beloved little sisters and brothers. That's what gives us courage to identify with Christ in our culture, right? And let people know, I'm a Christian. It's what gives us courage to share the gospel, is to know that he's not ashamed of us. Why would we be ashamed of him? Um, and so we read like the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, For this reason, I also, what? Do you know how much Paul suffered? Do you know how much Christians throughout history have suffered for the name of Christ? Uh, for this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. 
For I know whom I have believed. I know the one who's not ashamed of me, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day, and I know he's with me, he's in me, he's for me, and he's going to get me safely home. Jesus suffered for doing what is right, and and we will too. Let's remember, he's not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed of us. So let's not be ashamed of him. When we have opportunities this week, let's break the sound barrier. I'm a Christian. When we have an opportunity to share the gospel, let's cross the the pain line and and share Christ, okay? Um, 1 Peter 4, 17. "For For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first... What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? (laughs) Listen, (laughs) as Christians, those who are loved by God, life can be really, really hard, right? Uh, If it's like that for those who know God, what will it be like in eternity for those who don't? And And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Listen, it's hard to get to heaven. It really, really is hard. It's hard for us. It was hard for Jesus. It was hard for Jesus. But do you know what helped Jesus? Jesus lived life on earth with an eternal perspective. With an eternal perspective, Jesus knew that people are forever. Listen, people are forever. But life on earth is so short. So short. So Jesus was willing to suffer for a short time, even horrifically, for the joy of his people with him forever. Do we realize how short life is? Do we see the people around us and realize they're forever? It's either eternal life or eternal punishment. It's heaven or hell. Are we willing to suffer for a short time for the eternal good of others? Um, in Hebrews chapter 12, we read what? Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen, the race set before us, following Jesus in a hostile culture, it's not going to be easy. Are there encumbrances? Are you tied up in things that are going to hinder you? Let them go. Are you involved in a sin? Listen, let it go. Let it go. It's going to be hard. Don't burden yourself down. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's what we've been doing this last week, right? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Know what kept Jesus on the cross? He thought of you and you and you and me with him on a new earth forever. And he was willing to suffer horrifically for a short time so that we might enjoy him forever who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus suffered uh, for doing what is right, and we will too. He was willing to suffer because he had an eternal perspective for a short time, even horrifically, in light of eternity, of his people enjoying him in a new earth forever. 
Um, and listen, we can too. Verse 19, Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Um, listen, Jesus trusted his Father knew what was best. He trusted his Father knew what was best. That's why he entrusted his soul to a faithful creator in doing what is right, didn't he? Remember Jesus as he got close to the cross that overwhelmed him? Remember Jesus in the garden? Remember him? What's he? He's saying, Father, what? If there's any other way for you to save your people other than me going to the cross, let me know. Do you know what? No one ever feared death the way Jesus did. Did you know that? I talk to people and they say, well, I'm not afraid to die. And I said, well, Jesus was. You know why Jesus was afraid? He knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. And so Jesus says, Father, if there's any other way for you to save your people other than me experiencing the wrath of God, let me know now. And then he said what? But not my will. But I trust that you know what's best. Your will be done. Um, and so Jesus went to the cross and died. That's important. Notice this verse. It says, those who suffer according to the will of God. Uh, well, well, finally, is it God's will that we would suffer? Well, let me ask you, was it God's will for Jesus to suffer on the cross? For us it was, wasn't it? But I want you to understand something. When we suffer, when we suffer, God makes us a promise. He makes us a promise. And we see that promise in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, we see the promise that God makes to us in our suffering. And here it is, Romans 8, 28, and we know, it's not and we feel, and we know it because it's in God's Word, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. doesn't say all things are good. Suffering for doing what is right is not good, but God works in that. God causes all things to work together for good for everybody. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So if you're a Christian, God says that everything that comes into our life, even suffering for doing what is right, comes through his hands, and he's going to work it for our good. But what is that good? Now he tells us. Twofold purpose. All things come into our life for two purposes. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so the first purpose of our suffering is to make us more and more like Jesus. Jesus suffered, and guess what? We do too, right? So that we become like him. And secondly, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And secondly, he promises us that through our suffering, he will expand his family. He will expand his family. So when we suffer for doing what's right, we can trust God that he's using it to make us like Jesus and to expand his family. And you say, well, what does that look like? You remember Joseph, right, in the Old Testament? Didn't he suffer for doing what's right? He told his brothers God had a special plan for him. They sold him as a slave. He's one of the only men in the Bible who had an opportunity to sleep with someone outside of marriage and said no. And what happened? For doing what was right, what happened? He got thrown into jail, didn't he? And then daddy died. <laughs> oh, and his brothers, they're so afraid, right? So in Genesis 50... His brothers, they're really, man, Joseph is going to whack us now. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, 
but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Do you know what happened through Joseph's suffering for doing what was right? He became more humble and more like Jesus, didn't he? And you know what else happened? God expanded his family. Israel will save 70 people, but over the next 400 years, it would become 2 million people, right? So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. What does it look like that God causes all things to work together for good? How about the cross, right? I mean, Peter, after he saw Jesus alive, after the Holy Spirit fell, he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. He's preaching on the day of Pentecost, and we read in Acts 2, verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed formed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Jesus suffered for doing what was right. And God's plan had unfolded exactly like he planned it, that Jesus died on the cross, on the Passover for our sins, just like God had planned it. And yet... Sinful men nailed him to a cross. Oh, and I love this next verse. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. You can't keep Jesus down, can you? <laughs> oh, so listen. This last verse we read in 1 Peter. Therefore, those who suffer... According to the will of God, when we suffer for doing what's right, shall entrust their souls. Let's trust that God knows what he's doing. He's made us a promise. He's going to make us more like Jesus and expand his family through our suffering to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So, we've learned that Jesus suffered for doing what is right, and we will too. That Jesus, that Jesus was beloved and suffered, and we are beloved and we will suffer too. And that Jesus was strengthened by the Holy Spirit to endure tough suffering, and we can be too. That Jesus was not ashamed of us. He was not ashamed to suffer. Let's not be ashamed of him. Listen, that Jesus lived with an eternal perspective. Let's live with an eternal perspective. That Jesus trusted his Father knew what's best. Let's trust him, okay? Uh, now I'm going to give you an action step, and you're going to say, I'm not doing that. But you need to do this, okay? You need to rejoice, to rejoice in your suffering. And I want you to know that comes right out of the passage. It's exactly what we're instructed to do, right? Listen to what he says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. <laughs> well, so how, do we, how do we do that? What, what, what would that look like? Didn't you enjoy Philippians this week? I mean, th those of us who are, if you want to pick up the study and join us in Colossians this week, but this past week we read Philippians, and in chapter 4, verse 4, we read what? Rejoice in the Lord when things go well. What does it say? Rejoice in the Lord what? Always, even when you suffer for doing what's right. Rejoice in the Lord always. And we're a little slow, so he says, again, I will say rejoice. Isn't that why we're here this morning? We're here this morning to begin our week with joy, right? We're here to rejoice in the Lord. Isn't that why we get up each day to start our day rejoicing? That means we lost our joy, right? So you rejoice is what you 
you renew your joy, right? And then throughout the week, this week, when people say, how are you? I'm rejoicing. Well, how can you be rejoicing? I'm rejoicing. My name is recorded in heaven, and the best is yet to come. Wouldn't that open up opportunities? We rejoice when things go well. We rejoice when things go wrong. We rejoice when we suffer for doing what's right. Oh, well, smiley. Paul just said that. He didn't mean it. Do you know that's in Philippians? Do you know in Acts 16, Paul goes to Philippi to plant a church. He leads a lady to faith in Christ named Lydia. I like Lydia. Our oldest daughter is Lydia. And then he begins to make disciples and plant a church. And there's this slave girl. There's this slave girl, and she keeps saying, these men, she's demon-possessed. These men are telling the truth. Believe in Jesus. And you know what it says about Paul and Silas? Do, do, do any of you maybe find me or other people annoying? Do you? Do you know what it says about Paul and Silas? They found her greatly annoying. Is that great that the apostles get annoyed by other people? So what it says, Paul and Silas, they cast the demon out of her. And we would say that's a good thing, right? But listen, the master was upset because he lost his ability to make money. So he had Paul and Silas arrested. And we pick up the story, Acts 16, verse 22. One last story, then we're done. Okay, I'm sorry. Verse 22, the crowd rose up together against them for doing what's right. And the chief magistrate tore the robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods for doing what is right. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison for doing what's right, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Here's why good theology is so important. How many Christians I know would say at this point, this is how you treat me, God? This is how you treat me? I've been reading my Bible. I've been going to church. I've been sharing my faith. And this is how you treat me? Good theology matters. Paul and Silas had said, rejoice in the Lord always. That if we're in prison, we have to trust that God has a reason for us here. That we're here to become more like Jesus. We're here because there's people in this prison who need to hear about Jesus. So you know what they did in prison? But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Well, of course they were listening. They're naked, bloody, chained, in prison, and they're singing. They'd heard prisoners curse. They'd heard prisoners say they were innocent. But never in their whole life had they seen people suffering for doing what is right and worshiping and praising God, and they were listening in. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. So all the prison doors were opened, and you know what? No one left. Churches are open in America, but people don't want to go. It's too dangerous. There we find people in prison, 
and they could be free. But there was so much joy in the presence of God, they wouldn't leave. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. See, if the prisoners got away, the jailer would have been put to death. But Paul and Silas, they knew that if they stayed in prison and they were put to death, they would go to heaven. But they knew if they all went away, the jailer would die and he would go to hell. So they stayed because God had them there for a reason. Uh, and he called for the lights, or, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushing, rushed in and trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Paul and Silas. I mean, the jailer looks at them and says, listen, whatever you guys have, I want it. How do I get it? And you know, Paul and Silas saved their lives twice that night. Did you know that? They saved his life physically, right? And then they saved his life forever. How many of those prisoners were saved, right? They were in prison. There must be people here Jesus wants me to reach. So here's what I submit to you. I've never seen America so divided, so angry, so hopeless, so joyless, to which so many people would say, that's bad. To which I would say, that's good. That's so good. What if there were a people bloody, beaten, but still rejoicing? What if there was a people in the midst of all the despair with all that was going on, just like Paul and Silas in prison, who were overflowing with joy? Wouldn't people say, I don't know what you have, but I sure do want it. And you know what? When people want what we have, <laughs> it's not really hard to give it to them, is it? So this week, our assignment, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you. The beloved of God, thank you for come and coming and suffering and dying so that we could be saved. Thank you. And, and listen, if you've never been saved and you, you'd like to be, won't you tell Jesus, he's here, Jesus, I've sinned against you and, and, and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and forgive me and, and give me the gift of eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, I pray for all of us who you have moved into, that we would have learned today that you suffered for doing what is right, and we will too. 
So Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us. Fall fresh on us so that as we suffer this week, we rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say that we rejoice and rejoice. And Lord, may people be just like the jailer and just like the prisoners. May they be drawn to us because they see you overflowing in us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.